Can you really be that stupid? What are you talking about? Where were you last night? I was out with the guys. Why? Well, because you didn't even tell me. You just didn't come home from work. I don't think I have to read. I told you to take your allergy medicines. You're not sleeping at night. You're snoring all the time. They're asking me a thousand. I don't ever do myself. You know, I'm busy out there trying to make room and do your homework. Don't talk to myself. You go ahead and work. I'll talk to him. Why you're not doing it? We need to grow up. So we really just need to sit down now. You just act like such a baby all the time. It just needs to get better. This is why you need to get up there. Boy, it's six in the morning. I just need to get back to sleep. No, no, I'm the man of the house, and I get to sleep. I'm telling you what I mean. You don't understand, but you're not paying attention. You don't listen. You're on your phone. You're working. You're distracted. As much as we would hate to admit it, some of our houses are a picture of just that. That somehow in the mornings when we get up to come to a place such as this, we put on our best face and we pretend that all things are good. But behind closed doors, we know that there's a reality that we don't oftentimes want to talk about. And last week, we talked about this idea of life behind closed doors and ultimately how it happens. It happens because of our isolation dilemma. And every single person in this room at some point in our lives has faced a period of isolation where we just felt alone, where we felt afraid, where we were fearful, and where we felt like we were the only one on the planet who didn't have a friend and the only one on the planet who was going through the particular issue that you face right now or have faced in the past. The challenge is, though, is for us to realize that isolation happens for a variety of reasons. And so last week, we began this series called Behind Closed Doors, and we talked about some of the reasons that we feel isolated and alone. And one of them is because we actually could be too obedient to Jesus. For instance, I'm sure there's many of us in this room that we feel like we're like the Apostle Paul. Like we just live such a faithful life for Jesus that we face persecution, you know? I mean, you think about in Acts, Paul and Silas jailed because of their obedience. Now, I would say most of us, we don't have that problem, right? But there are a few that perhaps you feel like I'm so obedient to, to the cause of the gospel that I feel like I'm alone, that I feel like I'm weird, that I feel like I'm, in a sense, isolated. But we also talked about last week that there's a couple of other reasons that we could be isolated. We could be like Job and just face lots of circumstances that we didn't even see coming. And for some of us in this room, you feel isolated, a little bit alone because of sickness, or uh, perhaps you're facing a diagnosis that's uh, daunting to you. For some of you in here, it, it could be that you just lost someone that you love or that for the very first time in your life, you're a, a new person at work and you're trying to figure things out, but your circumstances kind of kept you on an island. And then I think there's a lot of us in this room that we're on an island and isolated because of our sin and disobedience. That we just made some really poor choices. And at the end, we look up and we go, I'm not sure how I got here. But what got us here is the fact that we made some decisions that didn't honor the Lord. But here's what I want you to realize. I want you to realize that all isolation issues are not a result of merely your circumstances or your sins or disobedience or even because of your obedience. That actually, last week, we ended with this thought that all of your isolation issues are a spiritual dilemma. Every single one of us at some point in our lives are fearful or afraid, or we feel like we're all alone, 
behind closed doors and we wonder how we got here. And the scriptures tell us that we got here as a result of something that happened in Genesis chapter three, that in Genesis chapter three, our brother Adam and our sister Eve chose to reject a holy God and his purpose and plan for their life. And rather than live in obedience, they decided that they wanted to become like God. And in that moment, they sinned against God. They no longer lived in a perfect harmony, but now they face the consequences for their actions. And what are those? Well, here's what we know. We know that ladies, you will desire to rule over and you will have strife and enmity with your husband because you think that you know better. And I get it because your husband is a doofus like me. And that's a part of Genesis 3, but that you're also going to have labor pains, not just labor pains and uh, as you're having a childbirth, but labor pains, that there's going to be thorns and thistles and that no one is looking forward to work tomorrow. But the largest consequences that comes as a result of disobedience in Genesis 3 is that we will have death. Death and that one day your life, a mortal body will come to an end, but even more than that, that you and I, because of uh, isolation and a spiritual dilemma in Genesis 3 means that we will be separated from a holy God. And that's what the Bible tells us. Matter of fact, just to kind of put it into a, another way, Paul writes to the church in Romans. And in Romans 3.23, he says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That every single one of us sin. And you would go, well, no, 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 well, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I'm not that bad of a guy. No, listen, even if you're not that bad of a guy, you still have the sins of your brother Adam and your sister Eve rolling downhill and it's snowballing towards you. That hypothetically, even if you were pretty good, Romans 5.12 says that we have all inherited sin because of one man's sin. And so Adam started this curse and it just snowballs down. And, and all of us know that we have sinned at some point, point in our life. But even if you think, well, I'm morally pretty good and I think I'm better than the person that I'm sitting next to, you still have this dilemma. And this dilemma is caused because of sinfulness. And here's what we realize, because of our sinfulness and the sinfulness that happened in Genesis 3, is that we also have a penalty. And so Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what we realize is that the wage or the penalty, the payment of our sin problem, the isolation and spiritual dilemma at the very root cause of our heart ultimately has a just punishment. And that just punishment is separation from a holy God. That is what's due to us, except for that God in his sovereignty noticed that we had a spiritual dilemma. And he says, and I can solve it. And I can give a final payment and solution. And I'll give it as a free gift to those who would believe in me, confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And they could what? Have salvation. They could have a new life. They could be set free from the captivity of isolation, from circumstances, from disobedience, and even from obedience. And you can have a new life in Jesus. And that's the goal. The question is, well, how, how do I get out of that? If there's a free gift, then, then what do I do? Must I work for it? Must I go to church more? Must I become a more of a moral person? No, you don't solve your isolation issues by your own accounts or your own doing. You, you don't solve your spiritual dilemmas by being a better person. Why? Because you still have Adam's sin spiraling down. So even if you were to clean yourself up morally, we still have a dilemma, don't we? And so how do we solve it? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. 
Not through faith in you, not through faith that you'll somehow clean yourself up, somehow you're going to overcome your addiction, somehow you're going to go to Regen and you're going to get a commencement coin at the very end and you're going to go, oh, hey, I graduated. No, you don't graduate from your sin problem. All we do is we turn to the one who is the final solution and penalty and the payment of that sin problem, and that's Jesus. And we do it through faith. And then it says, and not by works. It's not by works, but it is the free gift of God. Why? Because if it was your doing, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he goes, you would boast if you could find a way to provide salvation for yourself. Like if you, if you were the one who ex- externally got yourself cleansed up or even internally you turned over a new leaf, if you could somehow get to God on your own accord, you would boast about it. It's interesting that we boast about it already. We think that somehow we've done something to get to God. And what we see from the scriptures is clearly is that, no, you have an isolation and a spiritual dilemma, and there is nothing that you have done to get to God. But God in his sovereignty said, I will see fit that God will reach down in your mess, and I can save you from your spiritual dilemma. And that, my friends, is what we're talking about today. And the reason we're talking about today is because in our relationships, we have been searching for a cure to our spiritual dilemma. And I'll tell you that most of us in this room did not search for Jesus as the cure. Matter of fact, at a very early age, we've been teaching ourselves to search for other things for the actual problem that has, in a sense, pierced or even cursed our hearts. And so we look for our solution from our isolation and sin problem in lots of different ways. And so for some of us at a very young age, we began looking for our solution in relationships. We began to look for the, just that perfect friend or that, that perfect soulmate, that perfect person that would complete us. And so we even have created that same dilemma in our culture now. I'll explain it in just a second. For some of us, we begin to look for, to numb the pain of our hearts, we look for what? Substances? For some of us, we look for a new hobby. We look for something to fill the void of what's actually happening in the deep crevices, the dark crevices of our heart. And we don't want anybody to realize that's what we're searching for. And sometimes I don't think we even are aware of why we're searching, but we are diligently finding something to keep us busy or to uh, provoke our thoughts to something new, or even finally looking for that person that would just be that completer for us. And here's what's crazy is that you're not only doing that as a 45-year-old woman or a 55-year-old man, but you're actually doing that to our five-year-old kids now. For instance, there, I know recently somebody has said to my son, Caleb, hey, Caleb, who's your girlfriend? And for me, me and Kelly, like we cringe when we hear that. And the reason why is because there is no point on planet earth for my five-year-old to be completed by a girlfriend ever. Matter of fact, I think if we're really, really paying attention to the scriptures, I think Paul, he's candidly trying to make a point in 1 Corinthians 7. He's trying to say, hey, listen, if you'd like to marry, great, but you need to know that marriage will have problems. Why will marriage have problems? And here's why. It's because two isolated, lonely, fearful, and broken people cannot complete one another. If I were to take two vases right here, beautiful little vases, I wish we had it in the budget to do this. I so badly all week have been thinking about how I could bust these vases right in front of you and it would be a glorious moment, right? (laughs) But if I could just like just shatter these two vases. Now, let me ask you a question. All the pieces are there, 
But if I shatter two vases, would you say that it would be wise for me to wake one really awesome vase out of two broken ones? And the answer is, it wouldn't happen. You, you don't take and make one really beautiful vase out of two broken ones. And that's what we've been trying to do with our spiritual dilemma through people all our lives. We think that God, if you'll just remove me from the circumstance I'm facing, then I'll be better. No, 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 no. What we want, God, is in the midst of the circumstance I'm facing, God, would you perfect me through your son, Jesus? Hey, God, if you would just give me this perfect friend, a better friend, God, if you would just give me a perfect husband, if you would, no, 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 no. There is no perfect husband. As I said at the end of a service last week, we talk about this isolation dilemma. I have a guy who comes up to me at the third service and he's just weeping and he goes, my marriage is crumbling and I wish that I was the man that she needed. I just put my hand on his shoulder and I said, you will never be the man that she needs, ever. There is no husband that will complete your spiritual dilemma. There is no wife that will complete your spiritual dilemma. But here's the deal. We've been telling ourselves for so long that there may be that perfect person out there. And I'll tell you, there's not, except for the one who is perfect. And he is called what? The head of the church, the great shepherd. He is the master of the world and he is the master of the broken soul. And his name is Jesus. But outside of that, here's what we've got. We've got lousy men and women to try to fill the void. And so let me ask you a question. Parents, think about it for just one second with me. Why would you be praying for your first grader to have an incredible wife one day when you realize that all an incredible wife is gonna do is add to the chaos? I mean, honestly, shouldn't we be praying for our four or five-year-old daughter that she would devote her life in singleness and celibacy to the Lord for all the days of her life, that she would walk in union with the soulmate who desires for the longing of her soul. That's what I want for my daughter. And so I've adjusted my prayer. I'm no longer, God, pray that you would just give my beautiful little daughter a husband that is worthy of her. There is no husband worthy of her. There is no man that will complete her other than Jesus. And so what I do, I go, God, would you just use her for your glory? And then Paul goes in 1 Corinthians 7, hey, if you choose to marry, it's not a sin. Like, it's not a problem. Like, but you just need to know what you're getting into. Does that make sense? But here's the deal. We've got to adjust this picture. This picture is not, hey, I need a great man for my daughter. Now, I get it. There's a few of you in here, you're single, and you're like, okay, so you're telling me that you want me to be single all the days of my life? And then you just, I mean, already you're going, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be that weird single cat lady. That's not going to be me. <laughs> I am not going to be the woman closed up in her apartment and all I do is watch chick flicks and, and dream about some guy. No, like, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to consider a life of wholehearted devotion towards Jesus. And then if God happens to bring someone into your path, then maybe you should consider it. But so I think we've flipped it. I think instead of pursuing Jesus, I think what we've done, at least what I did, is you find someone who seems to be compatible with you in most areas of your life, perhaps faith, perhaps family values, 
perhaps morality issues, perhaps political agendas, and you go, they seem to be a fit. And somehow, maybe we can just add God into this dilemma. And I think we're broken. And I think we've got it a bit twisted. So can I just give you maybe a solution to some of our challenges with, within our relationships and, and in particular our dating relationships and marriage issues. And so if you were to ask me, hey, Brandon, would you marry me? I would say, absolutely, I'd consider it. We have a merge ministry that is an incredible resource for you. And we're gonna talk about who Jesus is and about what he desires for your relationship. And if you'd like for us to marry, I think you need to consider all these things. And here's a list of four to five things that if you align with, then we'd be happy as a leadership team to align with you. If we don't align with it, then listen, we love you and we care about you, but you're going AMA and that is against medical advice. You ever have that hard head check himself out of the hospital because he's okay? And they're going, no, no, we don't advise you to do this. And you go, no, 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 but I'm, I'm okay. We don't advise you to do this. This is an AMA message today. I am just simply saying this. If you are here and you go, my marriage is crumbling this is a message for you. Or if you're here and you go, I truly believe that I found my Prince Charming. <laughs> this message is for you today. Because here's the deal. Ultimately, God desires for us to look like him and for him to complete us before we find someone else to do it. Because there's no other human on planet that will complete you. I, I love the gospel because you're encouraged in John 2 uh, to come and see Jesus. And here's what you need to know about Jesus. The more you come and see Jesus, the better it gets. But the more that you come and see me, the worse it gets. I can impress you at first, but the longer you hang around me, the more you realize, wow, he's not all he's cracked up to be. You see my nuances, you see my people pleasing, you see my perfectionism, you see my pride, you see my struggles come out. And that is the reality for all of us. Yeah, at first it looks good. But have you ever heard from that woman who goes, I married him and within 24 hours of saying I do, I realized I made a horrible, horrible decision. And the question is, why didn't you see it? Because he gave you all he had at, at first and it was the best he had to offer. Someday when we run out of the best we have to offer, it gets pretty ugly, doesn't it? And see, that's not the case with Jesus. And so if we could just find our hope and our countenance and our joy and our satisfaction and our worth and the answer to the greatest spiritual dilemma we ever have, our sin problem, and we could find that solution in Jesus, then we have a chance for every relationship thereafter to be a picture and a model of his grace and his mercy and his joy and his hope. Amen? And so here we go. I want to run through it pretty quick. And so here's what you need to know. Jesus truly desires to satisfy the very deepest longing of your soul. He is the only one that can be your soulmate. So you're saying that my husband's not my soulmate. Yes, I am radically, I am radically and very boldly saying your husband is not your soulmate. God created the soul and the soul is long to be filled by him and nothing else can fill it. And so the goal is, is for us to realize that healthy relationships, whether in a marriage now or a marriage to come, 
or whether you're single now and you're gonna be single forever, how do you have healthy relationships? Well, you only have healthy relationships when you have born again believers. When you have two people pursuing Jesus together, that's the idea. And so you see in John chapter three, you remember Jesus approaches Nicodemus and he's talking to Nicodemus as he sneaks out at night to see Jesus. And he goes, Jesus, what must I, be, what must I do to be, to be saved or to have eternal life? Jesus goes, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus goes, well, I don't really understand what you're talking about. Nicodemus is like, I'm a little too old to go back into my mother's womb. So you want me to go back into my mother's womb? And then I love this because I always laugh at it because of what, I mean, Jesus goes, did, did you, like, I, I want to think that Jesus, in that, just as they're having this conversation, he goes, did you, like, did you really just say that? <laughs> and then I love the fact that Jesus goes, and you are the best that Israel has to offer. Because he's a leader in, in the Pharisees, the Sadducees, he's a leader. He knows the law. He is a man who morally would look like he had it together. And Jesus goes, and you're the best, you're the cream of the crop. And you don't even know that I am the one who can fulfill you. And he says, you must be born of water and the spirit. He goes, you must be born again. It's the idea of a new life with Jesus. See, if you don't have a new life with Jesus, you'll never find anything to fill the void in the midst of your circumstances or your sin or even in your obedience. You'll never find anything that yokes you together the way that you're intended to be yoked together. I mean, Matthew 7, a clear indication that as a born-again believer, we must bear fruit. So how do you know if I'm marrying the right guy? Well, when you look at him and he exudes the fruits of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you may have found the right guy. When you look at him and he's got patience and he's, he's joyful. I mean, he's got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says, and against such things, there is no law. When you get a guy who doesn't go out in anger when you make him mad, when you got a guy who doesn't hit something when you question his authority, when you get a guy who's too patient or too happy or too joyful or reading his Bible too much, then you might have found the right guy. But the deal is, is we're not searching for those. Those aren't usually the qualities that we're looking for. I think Paul says of the church in Corinth, a church who is troubled in many ways, he says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, in a way I think that most of us can understand. Now, here's what I want you to caution against. This verse has nothing to do with marriage. It has everything to do with the church and what we should do as the bride of Christ. And so look at it in verse 14. It just says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Paul, he writes, he goes, hey, what, what relationship does Christ have with Belial? I mean, what, what relationship is there with light and darkness? He goes, do you realize, church in Corinth, that there should be a distinct difference between us and the world? And that's the idea. See, the idea is this, is that in the church, there's a standard for the people of God. One of the things that Time out real quick. I'm going to do like a one minute commercial, maybe to help people understand here. One of, the, one of the things that I've heard people say, and even recently came back to me is, why don't you, why don't you like Stone Point or why don't you make that? And one of the people said, because they expect way too much of people. And so meaning that they said that our membership process was too excruciating and that they expected you to what? Give to the cause, serve, be faithful, to make a difference in the community, to live like Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but those are pretty high standards. But here's the deal. 
You've got Christ who's laid his life down for the church. And a lot of people go, do I really have to go to this starting point class? Like I really have to do this? And the answer is yes. And here's why. Because you need to know the biblical standards of membership. Why? Because Paul goes, it is not good if someone who delights in Jesus doesn't understand a difference between the church and the world. It doesn't make sense if you would proclaim Christ and hang out with Belial. It doesn't make sense if you would claim to be salt and light, and yet you live in corruption and darkness. And he goes, the the membership of the church is important. See, listen, membership is not an opportunity for you to walk an aisle to get your name somewhere to say in your obituary that I am the member of such and such church. What joy is there in that? Membership is an opportunity for you to be in the body of Christ, living out your gifts through spiritual sacrifice, making a difference in a world where there is darkness, where you would exude the hope and the life and the light and the body and the reflection of Jesus. That's the goal. And so you go, why do you caution it so much? Listen, I caution it so much is because this church is not my church. This is God's church. And this is God's picture to this community and to this county that there is a church where membership in the body of Christ really does matter. It really matters. Now, what's interesting is, is that there's a huge distinction and a real huge compatibility between God and his church and God and marriage and relationships. In a lot of ways, they're very synonymous. And so here's what it's saying. He goes, you shouldn't yoke yourself to unbelievers. So I think while that really is meaning more about the church, I think you could imply it to relationships in which you've heard probably many times your dad say, well, well baby, you shouldn't be yoked to an unbeliever. That, that, that's true, like church-wise, but it's also true just in relationships. And one of the greatest covenant pictures of the display of the gospel in a marriage, it's probably wise as a lady to not yoke yourself with an unbelieving husband that's bitter and controlling and manipulative and angry. Right? That's pretty good advice. And I'm just so thankful that God's word gives us that. And so it's the same. As a husband, you probably shouldn't yoke yourself to an unbelieving wife who is mixed up in harlotry and unfaithful and does not radiate the pureness and the reflection of a pure Christ. That's probably wise, isn't it? And so that's the idea, yoke yourself together. And then as you yoke yourself together with someone who knows Jesus, then guess what? You become image bearers of Jesus. You reflect and you're a radiant picture of the very relationship that you have with the one who completes your soul. Amen? And so as you begin to walk in completion, then it brings us to this great chapter in Ephesians chapter five. And as you look at Ephesians chapter five, you can see this beautiful picture between a husband and his wife. And so I'm gonna read it to you. And then I'm just gonna kind of lay this out to you in a very quick way. But in Ephesians 5, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ladies, you'll never respect your husband if you don't respect Christ first, ever. 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Men, underline that. As Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are all, what, members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and what? And mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this mystery is profound. And he goes, and I'm not saying that it refers, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he goes, I'm not talking about marriage now. He goes, I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let a wife see that she respects her husband. And so you would go, well, I, I'm pretty sure that my husband's a believer. I feel like he's a believer or I feel like my wife is a believer. So here's the deal. If you go, okay, I feel like that we're pursuing marriage or we're trying to fix the brokenness in our marriage. The question is, is are we two believers? That's a great place to start. And if you go, yeah, I think that he's a believer. The question is, have you ever asked him? Have you ever asked him to share his faith? Has he ever shared just a three-minute synopsis of his testimony about when he came to faith in Christ, when God made him alive in him? That's a good place to start. Then you go, okay, we're two people yoked together. We're image bearers. Then here's the question. And husbands, here's the great question for you. And ladies, here you go. I'm going to put it for you up on the tee. At the very end of the day, here's a great husband question. He can look at you in the eye and say, hey, babe, tell me. Was I too much like Jesus today? <laughs> now listen, husbands, that is the model. Your, your model is not to be a really good guy. It's not the model. Your, your, your husbandry, husbandry duties are not to be a model or a spitting image of her dad. The goal is not to be like your dad. The goal is, is to be a demonstration and an imitation of Jesus. And at the end of every day, I could ask my wife, did I give you an adequate picture of Jesus today? That's the goal. No other goal. Hey, did I give you all that you needed today? Nope, not the goal. Hey, did I treat you well today? No, not the goal. Hey, wasn't it a joy today that I didn't hit you today? Not the goal. The goal is, was I enough like Jesus today? And so what does Jesus do for the church? Well, according to Ephesians chapter five, these are some of the things that he does in other parts of the scripture. One is that he loves his bride. He gives love. What's interesting is he gives love. He deserves respect. I mean, Jesus even said it himself. He says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve to give my life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus came as the bond servant of God saying, I will lay my life down for my friends. I am willing to be the ultimate sacrifice and servant. Jesus is the guy who washed his disciples' feet. He is the guy who leads out in service. He's the guy who leads out in the home. See, ironically, we live in a culture where we have watered things down. Like for instance, when, when I remember, I remember being the, the little Christian boy, okay? Here's my standard for marriage. God, would you please not return until I get to have sex? Good Christian boy. That was the goal. Hey, Lord, like, please just let me have that. Now, you tell me, was it a picture of Jesus in any way? No. It was actually selfish and conniving and self-seeking. It's the very thing that James 4 says, fights and quarrels among us begin because of our selfish desires. See, that's the Christian boy. God, just, hey, don't return before I get to enjoy this moment of satisfaction. I mean, think about you, the, the daughter of a man who is never present in your life, you're looking for a man to fulfill you. You're looking for a man to complete you. He'll never do it. Think about 
Think about the, the, the man in here who you never had a mother. You're looking for a woman who will give you motherly qualities and she'll never, ever fulfill everything you long for. And so guys, you are to be the picture of modeling servanthood. You are to, what, give love and you should deserve respect. You're to lead in service and devotion, Ephesians 5, 26 through 28. You are to provide for your home. 1 Timothy 5. Now, here's what's interesting. Providing for your home does not mean at the expense of of not providing the bread of life. See, most of us are focused on putting bread on the table and we neglect the weightier matters like the bread of life. So your family doesn't just need your devotion and your servanthood. They need you to be a gospel imitation and daily give them the word of life. They need you to be a picture and the hope of Jesus. And then you are to honor and cherish your bride as you do your own body. The question is, men, are you being a great picture of Jesus? Are you too loving? Are you too patient? Do you provide too well? Hey, you study your Bible too much and she gets agitated because you're just in the word too much. See, no one is ever going to have an agitated wife because you're too much like Jesus because you could never have too much Jesus. Now, wives, the question is, is if he's to be a picture of, of Christ, the great question for you at the end of the day is to say, hey, hey, babe, was I a good enough picture of Christ's church? Was I a good enough picture of the bride of Christ? See, you and I think that one day, long ago, that they decided in the Cinderella story that a Cinderella should marry a rich man and that she could come walking down the aisle in a lovely white dress. But see, the white dress isn't something we thought up. The white dress is Revelation 19, that we as the saints of God would be dressed in fine linen, white and clean. See, God desires for us as the bride of Christ to be purified. And get this, he desires for the bride in this world, married to a faithful husband, reflecting Jesus for you to be the picture of the hope of glory and the hands and the feet of Jesus, which are the church. You're a picture of the radiant bride to the church. So your role matters. And it means that you give, um, that you give respect to your husband because you respect God. And at the same time, you get love in return. That's the goal. It means that you're to be a devoted helper, that you're to be the helpmate. That's what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Listen, do you know why membership really does matter here? Because listen, People don't get served with the good news of the gospel unless us here at the church make that happen. Unless we live pure, devoted, and blameless lives of the church of God, nobody knows that God should be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why it's not about just coming and sitting and soaking and going, hey, that was a really good message today. The goal is that we would be equipped. The goal is that we would gather to encourage one of those hearts as we see the day of Christ approaching Hebrews chapter 10. 25. That's the goal. The goal is, is that we would see who he is. And then as ladies, you should nurture your family. You should nurture the home, Colossians 3, 8, 9, 1 Peter 3, 7, and you should live in pure devotion to your husband and to God. You should desire that you would be a faithful bride. Capiche? Comprende? Yes, see? That's the goal, that you would understand that. And so the goal is this. Okay, if I'm to be the picture of the husband and the the picture of Christ, and I'm to be the picture of the bride and a faithful one at that, the church, then how do we do that? And here it is. You live in purity together. 
you live in purity together. Like you live in a pure fellowship together. So if you're dating, the goal should be to live in purity right now. If you're in marriage, you should still live in purity together. And so that's the goal. The goal is to live in pure devotion. And so what does that look like? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 24 is a great picture of that. I encourage you to write it down and read it later. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, it just tells us to avoid all the appearance of evil. If you're going to be a faithful picture of the bride, it's probably not best that you stay at each other's house before you get married. You go, well, we sleep in different bedrooms. Well, to avoid all appearance of evil means that we wouldn't do anything that would, what, reflect anything different than the goodness of God as a faithful man and as a woman who's going to be a faithful bride. It's to live in purity and devotion to one another. It's Philippians 2.15, to shine like stars in the universe. It's Matthew chapter five to be the salt and the light that we're a city on the hill that people can see. That's the goal of our church. But even more than that is the goal of your marriage. Your marriage is to be a faithful example. As you live in purity together, then you should also live in devotion to Jesus. Live in devotion to Jesus, a full out devotion, full out devotion to Jesus. And so it's, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter one, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Is that what's said about you? I mean, think about your marriage just real quick. Like when people see you, do they go, wow, I really love the way that he models Jesus. Wow, she is such an incredible and faithful bride. She gives him such respect. She's so kind. She's such a helper to him. She's not always trying to usurp his authority. She's not always nagging. She's not always saying malicious things, but she really desires just to come alongside and to help him. And he serves her and he keeps serving. And, and he's just so faithful and he's so loving and he's so patient and he's so kind. He's such a representation of Jesus. Is that what people say about you? Because as we live in complete devotion to Christ, we realize that people ought to imitate us as a reflection of Jesus. And then we realize that our devotion to Christ supersedes the devotion of anything else in the world, including, including that of our spouse. Like our greatest devotion is to please God today. And I'll tell you the greatest way that you please God today is to live in a faithful and pure life, whether you're single, whether you're dating and plan to marry or whether you're married. So let me just kind of end with this. I really believe that one of the greatest reflections of the gospel today is with how well your marriage is in our culture. I really believe that. I really believe that one of the foundational elements for people to see the goodness of God is how you are so faithful in your dating relationship. I really believe that. I believe the hope of the world is found in two places. The church, as the saints of God go out and we manifest the light and the glory and the hope of God to the world. And when husbands and wives are faithful in the midst of a culture where there is unfaithfulness and harlotry and rebellion and selfishness all around us. And so one of the things that I've told our kids is, listen, listen, there, you're gonna be very limited in how many places you get to go. And I know you're gonna look at me and you're gonna go, dad, you're no fun. And I get that. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way because I'm no fun. But then I said, but you need to know there will be very few limits on the people that you're able to bring in the front door. And when they come in our front door, you always need to know we'll have something good to eat and we'll have ice cream and we'll have chocolate sauce to pour over the top of it. And they're able to come in and here's why, because I do know that there is one home 
in which your friends will see to be a faithful example. And when they are in the midst of isolation and chaos, your friends are always welcome here. But you also need to know that I am going to guard your heart and your mind because I'm instructed to do so as your dad. And I'm not going to throw you into a bunch of chaos and rebellion. And I'm not going to allow you to do some of the things that the world does. And so you need to know Philippians 4.8, it better be grinded on your heart and your mind because when you ask to do something that your friends, well, dad, my friend gets to do it. Hey, listen, I understand, but I'm not your friend's daddy. I'm your daddy. And I don't answer to your friend's dad. I answer to my God. And at the end of the day, all I know is, is that I am to serve and to love and to protect you and my wife. And I want to lead you in a way that gives you peace and contentment and joy and that you have refreshing and that your soul is satisfied by a deep longing in Jesus. And Caleb, though you're getting asked to be kissed a little girl in kindergarten, listen, buddy, what should you respond? He goes, daddy, here's what I told her. I told her that those kisses are for my mama only. <laughs> and there ain't, there ain't no girl, there ain't no girl that I need right now because I got all I need at the house. And I'm like, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that literally just went down at our house. It's been going down. But listen, if you ever want to hear me respond without grace, there's two things you'll do. One is you'll call my kid a preacher's kid. And number two, you'll try to set one of my kids up with a girl or a boy right now. And the reason I'll come unleashed is because I just don't think that's best and greatest and most noble plan for God, for people that need a longing and a satisfying grace found only in Jesus. And so my prayer is, is that we would look for him as our hope and our refuge and not a bunch of people to fill the void in our life. Not a bunch of substances, not a bunch of hobbies, not a bunch of other things that fill our time. But God, can we just rest in you? Can we just find our hope and our refuge in you? God, could you help us to imitate you and to be an example in this world for you? That's the goal. And I get it. It kind of sounds boring to some of you. But listen, I'll tell you, it's not boring when you live a life of pure devotion for Jesus. It enthrills your heart and it allows you every day to get up with a new mercy and a new hope because there is more ground ahead to forge today. And I pray that you will be called in to this journey called disciple making with me. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the blessed hope of knowing your son, Jesus. And God, I know that I am a mess and that the longer people see me, God, the more they realize that I am full of imperfections, that I am nothing without you, Jesus. And so God, thank you for completing me. Thank you, God, for taking my desire to be someone and helping me be no one. God, help me, Lord, to be patient and kind and loving and gentle and respectful and help me to love my bride the way that you have loved me. God, help me to be a faithful servant, serving diligently in my home and in the workplace. God, may I be a radiant example of your glory. And I pray that for everyone in this place, may we find our deep abiding satisfaction in the hope and the glory of God. And would you bless us and keep us and make your face shine upon us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.